Morning, Church. I'm Sharon Anderson. Um, we have been engaged in this immerse scripture reading for four weeks now. I trust it's going well for you. If you look at the poster on the back, we've checked some things off. That doesn't mean anything unless it's immersing into your spirit. And if you haven't been able to check a few weeks off, that's fine too. I wanted you to see a witness from one life group facilitator and a group that has been immersing in God's word together. So let's watch this video. I have to say our group as a whole has really enjoyed and I've really loved it. It's just straightforward in God's word and what we've talked about often is how this living active word of God meets us in our living and active lives and so we could read the same story five years ago and pick out something different and we see it totally new today and just having it written in a story form it just it meets us so differently than trying to find an answer here or fill in the blank there even though you're still in God's word it's just that living and active as I continue to go through life actually in the Marines in the Marines when I was in boot camp and I had to run and um, I lift my eyes to the hills where does my help come from it comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And through my through my married years and the young kid years, we walk by faith and not by sight. It just was so powerful through the different things that we'd been through at that time. And now, as I'm a single parent, I really come back to God's love and care. And so I've often come back to how God cares for the birds, he cares for the flowers, and he's, he knows what happens to them, so how much more does he care for us and love us? What a witness to the impact of God's word over many, many years. That's why we do this together. That's why we read God's Word together. That's why we gather for a sermon in a week. I know it's not that you just love to hear sermons, because we need to be reminded who God is and who we are. So I invite you to pray with me as we begin this morning. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Word. It is power because of your Spirit. And so we invite you now, Spirit, to take the words that we've read this week, the words that are spoken now and impress them on our hearts as you would have it, Lord. You are the sovereign one. You are the leader. So do your work in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you heard from the scripture that Betsy read for us this, this morning that barriers happen between people, right? You recognize that there's lots of things that can divide us that really is evident in our culture right now, isn't it? One group pitted against another, and oftentimes there is actually um, an in and an out group. We talk about walls that divide us, political walls, figurative walls, and of course there are real walls that are erected that can be put in place to keep one group from another. I know that walls sometimes have a useful purpose, but in the gospel of Jesus, those walls have been brought down in many, many ways. And we're going to talk about that this morning. How the gospel crashes through barriers 
and is still crashing through barriers today. Um, I know that for many, you've uh, heard and read some of these scriptures before that we've done this, this past week. And today I hope that we can look at it in a way, fresh way that will challenge us to think about what it means to crash through barriers. In a couple of weeks, actually, several of us from Pine Lake Covenant are be going to be going to the country of Israel, and my husband and I are excited for that. One of the things we've been learning in this uh, preparation is that, and you know this too, it's a divided country. There are walls, literally walls, placed up to keep one group from another, and this is on the West Bank just outside of Jerusalem. There's a long history there of turmoil, both sides, and it leads to this current reality of a wall. Now maybe it's for some protection, and maybe there are some political purposes for it. But it really is that one group is in a safer place and one group is out. One group has to have access through a narrow gate with, with um, ID and one group has free access to come and go. Walls like this and other places in the world are often a statement of power, of limited freedom, of limited access for some people. Well, that was something that Paul worried about, too, when he wrote his letters. He had this dream given to him by the Spirit that we would live in unity. He had this dream of a church that was expansive and that all would come together in one. Is that possible? Is it just a pipe dream? I think Paul's answer to that would be an emphatic, yes, it is possible, and that is because of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at this today in the ways that the gospel crashes through barriers. We'll look at it in these different ways. First of all, we're going to look at the gospel's radical message. Sometimes we're so used to hearing it, it doesn't sound radical to us at all, but it is. And we're going to look at an example of that radical message playing out in the lives of Philemon and Onesimus. And then we're going to come to the table where you have a radical invitation to come and have access to God himself. So a little bit of review. Where have we been in the last week? If you're tracking with us, and if you're not, that's fine. The, the message is for you. But if you've been tracking with our reading this week, we actually read through four letters to communities, four letters to individuals. We read half of Romans, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. Are you tired? <laughs> Wonderful messages, but it's, it's more of the letters that Paul's writing. And of course, Paul addressed most of these to Gentiles, both to the leaders, either people who are leading Gentiles or the churches themselves. And so there was a place for him to, to speak to this whole issue of crashing through barriers. Just a little of context here. When Paul wrote many of these letters that we read this past week, about 58 AD, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and taken to Rome. And he probably was under house arrest for much of this. So many of these letters are called the prison letters because he wrote them from prison. And he's recognizing as he looks several years beyond at all the churches that he founded that there's a lot of fracture in the church. In fact, I think he was wondering, are these churches going to make it? That sometimes happens in new church plants, doesn't it? Are we going to make it? 
And there were so many things happening in these churches. And so he wrote for several purposes. One, to encourage them, to remind them of the gospel that they had come to believe in, and then to correct some errors. And then he wanted to challenge them. Because if the picture of unity in the body of Christ is what we're called to, they were falling short and they needed to be encouraged to go forward. You know, the barrier that he talks about between God and humans had been erased through Jesus Christ. But now how that lives out in the world was a little bit tricky in the churches themselves. Yes, more and more people come into Christ. More and more people excited about what it means to follow Christ. And yet on the ground, whoever they were sitting next to in church on Sunday morning, don't look at somebody else right now, but were they able to get along? Was there unity there? Was there a way that those barriers could be broken down? So these prison letters really reflect this gospel radical message. Because Paul is saying, in Christ, there are no walls, there are no barriers, nothing can hold the gospel back, nothing can hold us from unity with each other when we are in Christ. And so we read this passage from Ephesians, and um, just kind of to review it a little bit here. Oops, not there. There it is. Ephesians chapter 3, reminding us of who we are in Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, this is true for who he was writing to, this is true for you and I today. Those who were once far away, remember he's writing to Gentiles, you and I, most of us are Gentiles. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now when Paul is writing this to these little outposts around the Roman Empire, he probably has in mind the way that he worshipped in his days as a strict Jew in the temple of Jerusalem. Because there in the temple, there were literal walls that separated There was a certain way to worship certain people in certain places. I mean, I know here in our own church, people tend to sit in the same places, right? I mean, the halls are always right over there. (laughs) I don't know why they can't sit on that side, but they just never do. But it is choice. It's not because anybody said they have to sit there. But within the temple in Jerusalem, there were walls. There were divisions. This is just an artist's rendition of what it may have been like. But on the perimeter of the, around the uh, temple itself, around the perimeter, was the court of the Gentiles. Jews who became God-fearers were invited in, but only so far. This was their way to worship, ordered by access. Some were allowed to come close to that middle temple, and some even close to the holy place, but some were outside of that. The court of the Gentiles. There were many Gentiles who converted to Judaism during that time. And so they were invited to come into this place. In fact, we got a question this last week um, on one of these cards that asked the questions, how did the Gentiles or non-Jews find out about God before Jesus came? It was a really good question. And by the way, these are still there on your chair. I wouldn't be offended at all if during the sermon you picked one up 
and put a response to what you've been reading or a question and put it back in those bowls. We are trying as staff people to respond to your questions. Maybe on Facebook, maybe here in a sermon. If you put your name on it, we'll try to respond to you individually. Not that we have all the answers, but we'll continue that discussion together. So I commend this to you. But one of the questions was about how did non-Jews find out about Jesus? Well, here's the answer in that, that all the way back into the Old Testament, there were people who were drawn to Israel's God. They saw the way that Israel obeyed him, and they saw the way how God, there were results in the lives of God's people, and so they were drawn to him. And so they became proselytes, or God-fearers. And we see them all through the Old Testament, all the way back to Moses, and coming out of Egypt, there were some who were not Jews, who were with that group, who said, I'm putting my lot in with the God of Israel. And so all along, there were people who'd heard about this good God and had come close. But as you can see, the structures in the Jewish faith kept them a bit separated. There in the temple, barriers separating Jews from Gentiles. Secondly, it's not shown on this, but there was the court of the women. So the women had a different access to closeness than the men. Jewish women were allowed to congregate in an area, but they couldn't go past that area. If you attempted to go beyond it, you might be even thrown out of your synagogue, um, ostracized from your people, because you had gone beyond the barrier that was right for women. And now Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, he's writing about this. He's thinking about, perhaps, this temple and saying, now in Jesus Christ, there is access across the board. No preferred access by gender. No preferred access because of your background, your religious background. The ground at the foot of the cross, it's level. And we see that, didn't we, when this veil in the temple was torn in two. And access even to the holy, holy of places, which was reserved only for a priest and only at certain times, is now open to us because of Jesus Christ. Access to all. The way open through the grace of Christ. That is a miraculous gift. And we need to be reminded of the radical message that that is. That we have access to God himself. And there are no more divisions across gender, across ethnicity, across age. He himself is our peace. I found myself singing that song this week. He is our peace. He's the one that's broken down every wall. And because he's broken down the wall, when we come closer to Christ, we also come close to each other. And we bump up against those who have different ways of looking at life, but who call on the same God. You know, we, the barriers that have, the gospel has been breaking through have been evident in all that we've been reading. I'm just going to review some of those barriers now, and I want you to think ahead if you're going on in reading, because we're going to start reading another gospel again this week. We're going to read Mark. So I want you to start thinking, get your senses ready to say, where do you see Jesus crashing through barriers? Where do you see him making a step towards people? There was the language barrier. Remember at Pentecost, the explosion of languages so that everyone could hear the good news of Jesus. There was a regional barrier that would crash down. And Jesus said, no, don't just stay here in your little region. You're going to call through the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The regional barrier is breaking down. 
the cultural, ethnic barrier. We know that. No people group excluded at all. The gender barrier. No hierarchy of access because of your gender to the things of God. And then the economic barrier is crashed down. There's no division based on what you own or how you work. All have access to God. And so Paul impacts these themes throughout these letters. In a few ways, I just want to remind you of them. This passage comes from Galatians chapter 3, and he writes this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then in Colossians, the letter he wrote to the, that, that church in Colossae, he writes this. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. It doesn't matter. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. For myself, I have been on that journey of understanding what it means to break down barriers across our faith. Several years ago, some of us from Pine Lake Covenant um, engaged in something called the Journey to Mosaic. And I commend this to you. It happens every November, right around um, Veterans Day. It's a three- to four-day bus journey where you travel with a person, a partner of another ethnicity. And together you hear stories and are challenged to think differently about things that have happened both in our American culture but across the Christian culture as well, where barriers have come up over and over again. It was a challenging time for me to go through that. And I just wanted to share some of the things I wrote in my journal um, about that time. I wrote this, issues of power and privilege are in the air we breathe. From day one, we step into a world that is either ours or not ours. The barriers are there even if I don't recognize them. The power of entering into another person's story is what is a first step. To simply listen, to simply listen and not defend. To hear someone else's experiences. I learned that to love others means that I must be concerned for the justice of their situation, even if it doesn't affect me or it doesn't seem to affect me. A barrier crashing time for me. And I commend it to you in other ways where you can pay attention to the stories of others, especially in the Christian faith, who are walking towards Jesus but have felt barriers in so many other ways from that life in Christ. Well, Paul has his own example of a barrier-crashing relationship. And you read it in the short book of Philemon. This book was written to a man in the church in Colossae, probably one of the leaders, probably a wealthy man, a gentleman. And we're going to take a look a little bit at how the story of Philemon and Onesimus helps us to understand what it is to crash through barriers. If you have your Bibles, you can look up Philemon. It's only 25 verses. 
so it might be hard to find, you know. And if you have your um, Immerse Bible there, it's on page 205. But let's just take a look at this. One of the most interesting letters that God preserved for us in Paul's writings. It must have had that kind of an impact that it was read and reread. And I suppose that the people, Philemon and Onesimus, continued to work this out in the church. In fact, in fact, some historians would say that Onesimus, and we're going to hear about him, might have even become a bishop in the church after this time. So Philemon, let's hear a little bit about him. Paul writes to him, encourages him as his friend and his spiritual father. And Paul, in this letter, is appealing to Philemon, this leader in the church, this wealthy man who had a household including slaves. He's appealing to him on a very controversial step of faith. See, before becoming to um, be converted by Paul, Onesimus lived in the household of Philemon. He was one of his slaves. Onesimus might have been what they called a bondservant. And so when you think of slavery, we have to kind of take it out of the context of modern slavery, even the American story of slavery, and look at it in the context of that realm, of that church. It was not race-based. It was basically an economic arrangement, although it could be brutal as well. And bondservants in the ancient world, as they were called, or slaves or bondservants, they... um, were connected to their master to, in order to often pay off a debt. Often because they didn't have the means themselves and so they depended on the economy of the master's household to provide for them. In fact, it could be that in Colossae where Philemon lived and Onesimus had lived, one third of the people who lived there were actually bondservants or slaves belonging to their owner for a time, but they did have a sense of status that derived from that relationship and even some dignity because some of the slaves, some of the bond servants could continue to um, grow in social connections. Some of them even could be uh, pay their debt and become free. Nevertheless, it was not an easy lot to be a slave. They were often treated cruelly, And in that time, runaway slaves were seen as criminals and often were even crucified as an example to other slaves. So Onesimus, who has been a slave, a bondservant in the household of Philemon, has run away. And if you read the letter to Philemon, you get the clue that he might have even stolen some of Philemon's property or his money. And he finds himself in Rome You know, the Roman Empire, probably 120 million people, and 60 million of them were probably slaves or bondservants. And so Onesimus goes to a place where he could kind of blend in to the big city of Rome, and Paul is there. Somehow they get connected, and Onesimus meets the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is the one who leads him. He calls him his his father in the faith himself. That is what Paul is to Onesimus. And so Onesimus in this city has been staying with Paul under this house arrest probably, probably helping him, maybe doing things for him that would be helpful in Paul's situation. And so when Paul recognizes what's going on, he recognizes he can't hold on to this, that he needs to return Onesimus to Philemon. 
And so he writes this letter, this small little letter we have in our New Testament, and asks Philemon to welcome Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. And guess who's delivering the letter? Onesimus, along with another friend. Can you imagine going to the door of your master with a message urging him to do something unheard of? Something to forgive Onesimus and accept him in as a brother, not as a slave. And the the thing about the letter, the way Paul writes, if you kind of unpack it, it's quite involved. And he uses so many different levels of arguments. But one of them was, he said, this isn't just a private letter. This is a matter for the church. You read it, Philemon, and then you read it to the church. Talk about crashing through barriers. Paul appeals to Philemon based on this radical new thing, this gospel that says we are united in Christ, to say now the one who was your slave is your brother. Just a few ways it's used, the wording's used in this gospel of crashing through barriers. He appeals to him on the basis of love. Not demanding, not because it's the rule, but on the basis of love. I appeal to you, Philemon, Paul says. He says, remember, the status has changed. The barrier's been broken. He's no longer a slave. He's your dear brother. Your dear brother. He says, I want you to recognize Philemon. I want you to recognize Onesimus for who he is. I want you to see him as God sees him now. A fellow man a brother in the Lord. This is who you're welcoming back. And I want you to welcome him, Philemon. I want you to welcome this former slave as if you'd welcome me, the esteemed leader of the church. I want you to welcome the slave person in the same way as you would welcome me, no longer as a bondservant, but as one. Paul is putting to the test this thing he's been writing about and dreaming about, the unity that we have in Christ. He's saying everything that I'm talking about in a theological sense makes its way into real relationships, real places of living. You know, runaway slaves in those days, um, they were kept, even Paul himself could have been um, arrested for harboring a runaway slave. And so he is making an appeal beyond just recognizing the political and um, the legal climate of that time, but making this appeal based on the love of Christ and the welcome of Jesus Christ into who he is. He dares to appeal to Philemon to say, I want you to set aside what you've always known that conventional, conventional barrier that says they're the slaves, we're the owners. They're out, we're in. I want you to set that aside, Philemon, because in Christ you are together. Because there are now brothers in Christ, Paul appeals to this common faith. And when we read this story, this real-life example of crashing through barriers, we're challenged to. We're challenged to think of our varying social circumstances in the new realm where believers have been swept up in whatever our culture is now. That we, in Christ, all those barriers have been separated. Our union with Christ makes us unified to each other. And it transcends all cultural and social barriers 
that come up. So what does this mean for us? Yes, the gospel was crashing through barriers in that time and more and more people coming to Christ. The access to God was now open to all. Reconciled to God, right? Reconciled to one another. The message of Jesus is startling and it moves through. But what is our invitation as we live into this barrier-crashing gospel? Well, there's so much there. I could, you, know, you could do 25 sermons on this, but let me just encourage you in a couple of areas. Just as Paul appealed to Philemon to accept this former slave, we're invited through the Spirit of Christ to open our hearts to those we've walled off in some way or another. What might this look like? First of all, it might look like this. Pastor Mark referred to it earlier. Keep Christ at the center. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. If Christ can unify his body, we can be unified in him. Point to Christ. Look at Christ. Keep him at the central part. And then, as we together are looking at Christ, turn and listen well to someone else's story. Don't go at it with your preconceived ideas. Don't go listening to correct, but to hear to hear in grace. And that takes humility. You know, in all of these gospel letters, Paul writes about the way that because we're in Christ, we act differently. We act like Jesus who humbled himself. We need to do the same thing. Humble enough to be corrected. To say, I've seen things in wrong ways. I've looked at people with wrong eyes. Because of our unity in Christ, we can humble ourselves to accept others as Christ has accepted them. And then, even as Paul appealed to Philemon, be willing to be inconvenienced because of the gospel. This isn't just an idea in the head. This happens in real ways with real people. In order to live in unity in Christ, we may have to give some things up. I think for sure we'll have to give some things up. Because we care so much for our brother. Because on the appeal of love, we want to welcome others as Christ has welcomed them. That's the radical invitation of the gospel. I hope you've been thinking, as the Spirit has stirred, how those barriers need to be broken down in your mind and in your actions. As we open our arms, our hearts, our ears to the stories of others. And you know, as we come today and end this sermon, we come to the most radical place of welcome, of access that there ever has been. The table of Jesus Christ. Not only a picture of what Christ has done for us in the past by his death and resurrection, but a picture of what is coming. As in Revelations it says, Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every person in Christ will be gathered at this banquet. The access is open to all. As we come to this table, we recognize Christ himself showed the ultimate humility. He did everything that was necessary to reconcile us to God. And so as we gather at this table, may it be another statement, another way of agreeing with the gospel that barriers are broken down in Christ. 
One of the gifts of coming together and watching people walk forward is to recognize wherever you've come from, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, this table is for you. Whatever your age is, whatever your background in the Church of Christ, whether you're new here or you've been a believer for, not centuries, years. (laughs) I don't know if there's any century people here, are there? (laughs) Whatever, we're welcome here. We're welcome here. And so I invite you to pray with me now as we prepare ourselves to receive what Christ has given Father God, through Jesus Christ, we recognize all that we have been offered. That barriers have been broken down so that we could come close to you. So that we could come and recognize our sins are forgiven. That we are yours in Christ. And so as we come to the table this morning, I pray that you would make us aware of barriers we put up either between ourselves and others or even with you. Remind us of the love of Christ that meets us at this table that says this is for you. You have access to me. Lord, remind us of the grandeur of this story, the radical nature that you could take people on different sides of the wall and bring them together at the table. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.